Are you looking for inspiration and words of wisdom so you can go out and launch your own business? This is the Lost and Founded podcast, bringing you raw and relatable stories of successful entrepreneurs, committed startups and personal experiences that are here to inspire, inform and influence. My name is Nicola. And I'm Molly. And in today's episode, we'll be speaking to an Oxford local and well-being practitioner with over 30 years of personal experience in mental health, nursing and education. Our guest today took a pivot into her journey to start her own business, The Wellbeing Story. A love for well-being, creativity stories and people inspired Deborah to start The Wellbeing Story, where she uses all of these things to help individuals and teams to develop their personal and professional goals. Deborah studied at Oxford Brooks herself and was a senior lecturer here before going on to work for the NHS. And she has taken part in our Thrive Festival by running a workshop. We can't wait to hear more about the wellbeing story today. So without further ado, we would love to welcome Deborah Humphrey. Welcome, Deborah. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, enjoying the sunshine. Um, it's just lovely blue skies outside my window. So very happy. It looks lovely where you are too. It looks really bright. Can you tell us a little bit about the wellbeing story and what your day-to-day life entails? Yeah, sure. So um, I started the wellbeing story, well, just before the pandemic, which um, a bit strange time to try and do your own business. Um, Although wellbeing became a real issue during the pandemic. So in some ways it was good. Yeah, it's about November 2019 I launched with the intention of doing coaching and looking at well-being in its broadest sense. You know, so I know we all get sort of things on Instagram or wherever saying, you know, go to sleep for so many hours a day, do this, do that. I don't do any of those things, um, although I try. So but it was to think about the things we need in our life, both sort of psychologically and physically to have a sense of well-being and what that well-being meant to us so that was the plan obviously things changed a little bit and yeah so my day-to-day is really variable it can go I can have weeks where I don't do very much other times when I'm really busy everything nearly is on zoom so just that little snapshot that time we had before the pandemic a lot of it was in cafes and planning and that was really lovely But yeah, most of it is spent on Zoom now or Teams or whatever platform. Very little on the telephone. I had done some telephone coaching, but I have to say I didn't like it very much. I think, you know, it's really important to see people and when you're doing one-to-one work to kind of recognise people are looking distressed or anything like that. So yeah, it's really variable, actually. And that has been something to get used to. Yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And I think what you said about kind of the timing being a little bit perfect with when you started the wellbeing story and then sort of the pandemic actually really worked in your favor, which is nice to hear because a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes say, you know, the pandemic tended to be a hindrance of some form. But in this case, it lined up basically perfectly with what you were doing. I'm not sure it lined up perfectly. It I ended up doing things I didn't expect to do, partly mm-hmm. because my business is about well-being. And I have the background that I did in mental health nursing. So I ended up doing work with something called the Thames Valley Wellbeing Network, doing lots of group sessions around wellbeing with another trust, um, not in Oxfordshire, around doing wellbeing support and a lot about emotional resilience. 
And so very little one-to-one coaching, but as say a lot of group sessions. Um, so I had to really quickly become familiar with working and running groups on Zoom. Um, so I had experience of group work from my mental health background, but running groups on Zoom at a time of high emotional output was quite um, steep learning curve (laughs) fair enough and as we'd already mentioned you are Oxford Brooks alumni and you were a senior lecturer there for about four years so could you tell us more about these experiences you had and sort of how you went about becoming a coach and well-being consultant from some of this different experience that you had yeah so I seem to have a ongoing connection with Brooks in one way or another when I moved to Oxford I was doing a master's I'd lived in Cambridge and was doing a master's there and I transferred that to Brooks and that was in a clinical subject and then um, at the same time the job I had was working in Brooks's senior lecturer but also working in a local NHS trust and in fact I did that for about six years and went back to the NHS and what I realised was as I was coming to a point where because of my mental health background you could retire at 55 and so I realised that I'd done quite a lot of clinical work and worked in the area where people were quite acutely unwell. I wanted to have a little bit more at the other side where people were where I wasn't working with people who were unwell so I knew what I liked doing. I really enjoyed the group work, the coaching, the working with people in creative ways. So I wanted something that that could transfer to. So I went back to Brooks to do um, my coaching and mentoring there, the masters. I guess I'm really lucky because it's on my doorstep. So although every time I've been there, there's people come from all over, I can walk up the road. So I don't know whether I choose that because I'm lazy or <laughs> just because it's really good. <laughs> all right it's really interesting to hear your sort of progression through that obviously we've talked about the importance of personal well-being and as we've said it's become quite a thing that people are very aware of particularly mm-hmm. after the last year so is there one thing that you would recommend to our audience to help improve their well-being um, yeah that's a really hard question actually because I think well-being is such a big word and it's become a bit of a buzzword And I think, um, you know, some of the feedback when I run groups is that people, particularly um, with NHS practitioners, you know, what does it mean and how do you get there? So I do some work with a charity called um, Horse Herd, where we work, people come and work with horses who've had sort of difficult experiences. And for them, their well-being is just being outside in this beautiful environment. And I think for me, that's the one thing we can mostly all do is spend a little bit of time outside each day, even if it's cold, even if it's raining. You know, if we're stuck in our bedrooms or our studies or in our office, just to go away from that sort of electric lights, get some fresh air and sort of focus on our breathing. As I say, even if it's only five minutes, I think for me, that really helps me during the day and other people say that's good for them. Amazing no I perfectly agree with that Um, since I started working from home um, obviously during the pandemic I kind of relied on my daily walk just using my lunchtime break take a walk whether like you said cold or not just 
the fresh air just does something to your mind and you just feel a bit free really yeah and I think people have worked there's something about working from home I think people work harder and you know I know people have converted their bedrooms their living spaces into workspace so they sit there and people have said to me they feel guilty about taking a break in case people think they're not going to answer the phone immediately so I think it's really important that at home you just think actually I've got to move away from work I've got to go out you know at work I don't sit at my desk for eight hours or however long and not move so movement and fresh air really no, definitely agree. So just going a little bit back to you starting to set up and the planning involved, how much planning did you actually have to put in place before you kicked off the wellbeing story and what resources were kind of pivotal key when you were doing this? I have to tell you, I was completely naive. I just left the NHS where, you know, I'd worked for a long time. I was in the senior position and I thought, yeah, this will just work. I'll be a coach and I'll have lots of clients. And of course, but it was just so different my experience and I sat there and I thought not getting any clients and not getting any work and of course nobody knew me nobody knew who this person was sitting in Oxford so I did realize I had to do some more planning so I was really fortunate in that I found somebody who was going to help me build a website and she had great sort of marketing experience and was a social media coach so I've continued to work with her. She really helped me think about things in a level of detail, which would never have occurred to me. You know, and she was saying, well, where's your business plan? Business plan. Um, whereas, you know, in my previous paid employment, there was plans for everything. For some reason, I kind of come out of that and didn't think any of that applied anymore. So I had a real naivety. And that's why we didn't launch the day after I left my job um, and it took until November. And then I think it's been a continuous planning. I don't think I realised that at the time. You know, I think I got to my November launch, November 2019, and I thought, there we go, that's lovely. That's it. And it's evolved and it's evolved and it keeps evolving. And I think, you know, you need to constantly reflect on what you're doing and um, somebody said to me once and it's really stuck you know you are your own human resource you haven't got a human resources department so you have got to do everything whether it's your sort of continuing professional development you invest in yourself you check yourself so it's a continuous cycle of planning and evolving I think. Yeah, that actually leads quite well on to my next question, which is you're planning a rebrand. Can you tell us a little bit more about this process and how you identified the need for the rebrand as well? Yeah, I think that quite hard to put my finger on it, but there was something not sitting quite comfortably with me. And in a way, it was about my brand and the work I was doing. I felt, you know, I really love my business name, The Wellbeing Story but the work I was doing didn't really reflect that. So I I was doing some consultancy work, I'm doing some work with charity, and then I was doing some one-to-one work. So the person, Jackie, who I work with, who's my sort of business coach, social media coach, you know, she was saying, how would anybody find you? If you think about the people you're working with or wanting to attract, 
as the market. And for me, it was women at sort of 45 plus, between 45 and 60 year old. How would they know how to look for you? And it's clear it wouldn't be under the wellbeing story. So we've decided to go for a much more focused approach. And so actually I'm going to brand just under my own name, which a lot of coaches do. I'll still keep that sort of ethos around personal well-being in a holistic way. But just having reflected on who I'm working with, it's largely women, women at points of transition. There are so many transitions once you get to 45 plus, you know, different ages of children, being a carer, menopause, all of those things, careers, where do you go next? So I think I wanted to hone in on that. And then on supervision, because I do, I'm trained as a coaching supervisor. And then the third thing was around mentoring. I'm really interested in how organisations do mentoring for women. Um, so I'd like to get much more involved in local organisations thinking about female mentorship. Okay, perfect. And how did you first realise that this is the path you wanted to take? And how do you actually keep yourself motivated to pursue your own business and personal goals alongside kind of everything else in life that comes with it? Um, the path of working for myself or the rebrand? The path of working for yourself. I think I knew that. I don't know how I knew it. I just knew it. I think maybe it was to do with 30 plus years of working for other people. I suddenly thought, you know, I didn't want to not work. I felt still really energetic and, you know, leaving at 55, people say, oh, you know, you can have a really nice time now. And I kind of thought, oh, I've got all this energy, all this experience. Why don't I try and do something for myself? So in a way, it was a bit of a test to see whether I had the courage and strength. Yeah, just, and I love working for myself. I have to say, I love having the flexibility, the timetable. The people I've met have just been great. You know, I've met such a wider expanse of people. So it's constantly engaging that's the plus side the downside of course is you know you're thinking how am I making money all the time um which you know can be challenging and frustrating and difficult to learn how to charge and so you know there is a balance there but I have to say it's just been great fun but ultimately fitting it in that's an interesting one because I think you know when do you say you're not doing something that's your business? Um, so my daughter, I've got a daughter who doesn't live at home anymore. I've got quite a lot of time, but it would be easy to fill all of that time. And I think it's really important to be quite boundaried about that. So I'm not saying I am, but <laughs> I know the theory. Um, one of the things about being a coach and having an interest in well-being, it's sometimes hard to practice what you preach so um, I have two dogs which keep me company and need walking so they usually bark in fact one keeps coming in and out as we're chatting so um, I think there's something about having to be quite disciplined about your balance because you're not leaving work at a certain time you know you haven't got anybody else keeping a check on you so for me it's about community and testing yourself I also have supervision actually myself as a coach I think that's really important and then they can sort of check you know that it's somewhere and talk about my experience of managing my business yeah 
you talk a little bit you've talked a little bit about boundaries and things but what are some of the other biggest obstacles you've had to overcome so far to be able to continue your personal growth and how exactly did you overcome them oh gosh I think for me one of the biggest things is confidence and remembering I had experience and that my age wasn't a barrier I think they were the you know clump those into three main headings really so you know first of all I thought I'm too old for this you know I was mixing with lots of people who are a lot younger than me and I thought I don't know anything but then you have to think actually I've got this 30-year career history behind me you know I've spoken at conferences I've done this I've managed big services so of course I can do things and I think you know there's more and more women of my age now who, you know, we're lucky, we're fit, we're energetic, and we can go and do other things. Your 50s for me now is a time of thriving and curiosity because children are grown up, we've got a bit of financial security, you know, so it's time for experimentation, really. But to get over that, I needed to belong to, I think, communities of other women. And that's been really important for me to sort of push you, to challenge you, but also to be really supportive. Perfect. And I think it's so relatable to kind of just forget some of the experiences you have. Like I personally do it and I can forget what I did last year and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I did that thing, which is actually quite useful to maybe what I wanted to do next. So what you said there kind of really was very relatable for me. So kind of on the flip side of the obstacles, what is one of the key moments where you were the most proud of the well-being story? Oh, blimey, that's a hard question as well. Well, I think my launch date, I think, was incredibly proud. And there it was, this website, and it was me. And I I find that a really hard word about when we were really proud of it. I think there have been different times when I have been commissioned to do something or secured a contract, which has just been so kind of, yeah, that's it, I'm doing the right thing. And, you know, I am known to skip and dance around the house. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it usually is around those business highs or when you just start working and somebody tells you that you've made a difference, you know, getting an email back from somebody saying, gosh, you know, we worked together a year ago and this has really made a difference. This might sound a bit counterintuitive, but one of the things I'm really sort of pleased with myself about is still being here doing this because I think there are times which are really you know challenging and I know I've said to um, my own coach oh I can't do this but you know she gives me a bit of a push and I'm still here I think it you know not giving up I don't know if that makes any sense but no it does I think sometimes there's not just one moment you're proud of you're proud of lots of different moments and they combine into one thing that's absolutely true They sound like all things you should be very proud of. Um, (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit more about your family and background and how these factors help to get you to where you are today? Oh, gosh. Yeah, so I mentioned I've got a daughter and a partner. So and um, I've lived in Oxford about 20 years. But this is my second time of living here. So like my connection to Oxford Brooks, I seem to have a connection with Oxford. I keep coming back. I've got my two dogs so I just think that they my family have never said no to anything I do you know they just say go for it and are supportive and they get really proud so I think for me that's 
just great to have that behind you. I don't think they have a clue what I do, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but I think um, my husband's a scientist, so like our sort of ways of working are completely extreme to each other. But I just think the fact that they have let me play, experiment and be curious. And we, we spend time together as well and we have outlets other than work which is really important amazing there's nothing like a good support system to get you through every single day really I think it's absolutely essential actually you know I feel really fortunate I'm not saying it's all like you know rosy of course we have disagreement (laughs) (laughs) perfect so being a coach and a well-being consultant is something that here sometimes people don't really know how you actually get to that point so what actual training is required does it mean having lots of certifications as you go along the process is it kind of just the degree that sets you up how do you actually get to that title really yeah so I think for me I think well coaching is an interesting role and an interesting title and there are so many different options out there you know from a two-day training to a two-year training Um, because I did the two-year training I guess I'm quite invested in feeling people should do more than a two-day training you can become accredited. Um, so there's a couple of bodies which will accredit you as a coach. Um, so I'm accredited as a senior practitioner with something called the EMCC. I think, so basically anybody could call themselves a coach. I think if people are looking for a coach, they're gonna look for somebody with some training because it's quite a, you can be quite vulnerable in that relationship. So I think, if you're going to call yourself a coach as well, I think that's understanding. People are going to be quite exposing of their feelings. So I did quite a lot of training. I obviously had a long background in mental health, working with people therapeutically. So I felt able to work therapeutically with people. I wanted to understand the difference around coaching. And so that's why I spent my training doing that. And it also helped me then become more clear of the model of coaching. I wanted to do so that was understanding well-being and working creatively and I think it's immersing yourself in the coaching community and letting yourself be challenged so CPD is really important continuing professional development and if you belong to one of the professional accreditation bodies you've got to do so much you keep up your accreditation yeah I think there you know there are multiple ways to get to that job title and I think as coaches you'll see people give themselves various titles. I think if anybody was looking to have coaching, I'd be having a conversation first before you engage or contract at understanding that person's background and approach. Amazing, yeah, that's really good insight as well for people that might be looking for a coach too, just to know a little bit more about that. Can you tell us a little bit about your future plans for the wellbeing story or its new name, I guess, would that be Deborah Humphrey? Yeah, it's going to be Deborah Humphrey. Um, Well, my future plans are to launch and um, hopefully that will happen very shortly. I'm doing some, doing quite a few workshops in the next couple of months, different colleagues. I'm doing some with a colleague in Berlin where we're looking. Um, So one of my training is as a um, somatic body-oriented coach. So I'm working with him about how we use somatics and creativity to deal with sort of everyday issues I'm doing some workshops with another colleague about the menopause using embodiment so it's 
I think developing those areas and developing said earlier about mentorship within organizations and also I'm really interested in how organizations support internal coaches so I think lots of larger organizations now offer coaching and have some internal coaches I'm not sure they all get supervision so that's what I'm really interested in is how we support people who do these sort of supporting other people because it has an impact on you you know you'll know yourselves as mentors and managers it can be quite emotional so it's around supervision reflective practice so there's some of the areas I want to go down with the rebrand fantastic that sounds very exciting now as a founder when we've had spoken to some of our previous guests they always talk about the importance of celebrating any wins you have big or small so how do you actually celebrate your wins with well your general career development oh it generally involves food and going <laughs> out <laughs> I usually persuade my husband to take me out for dinner uh, <laughs> so that's I usually do celebrate if there's a big win with a meal at a lovely restaurant or dancing around the house I think it's just no I think it's acknowledging it I usually shout out to some of my close friends and let them know Sometimes it's just a lovely internal feeling of satisfaction that you have to hold on to because I think, you know, business is up and down. You can be as high as a kite one day and then the next day, you know, it's tax returns. So, yeah, so I do try and celebrate the big wins. I do keep a diary of them. And so that's not a celebration, but I think when things are tough, just going back and saying, oh, yeah, I did achieve this. Yeah, sometimes it's not so much the celebration itself, it's just recognising the thing in the first place that's important. Yeah, I think it is nice to to celebrate the bigger wins and just have a nice moment to yourself when you are smaller ones. Sometimes yeah. they don't mean anything to other people, do they? You might say, oh, you know, I've finished a blog and so many people have looked at it and it's been quoted, you know, and that's fantastic. So they're small wins for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so what is one small piece of wisdom that you would like to share with our listeners, which you wish your younger self had had before embarking on your journey? Patience. Mm. To be patient, I think, is the one thing that I had fully appreciated. And it takes a long time. And I think to evolve and rebrand isn't necessarily about failure. It's about growth and understanding your business. So, you know, you're growing as an entrepreneur. There's about a cognitive sort of reshifting of some of the thoughts, really, I think, you know, to see them, see things as not bad. And that it takes a long time, especially if you haven't got a product that you're selling. I think if you're selling yourself in a way and as a service, then it's, it's different to selling a product and it does take a while. Perfect, Deborah. Well, thank you so much. We've come to the end of our podcast, but it's really been such a pleasure to speak to you. And it's been so lovely to hear about everything you said. And the one thing that personally stuck with me is when you said we don't have our like for each individual, we don't have human resources managing us. We need to manage sort of ourselves, kind of keep ourselves going and look after ourselves. So I really enjoyed speaking to you. And so did Molly. So where can our audience find out more about yourself and your business and the rebrand that's coming up to keep up with you and your journey yeah so i'm on all the usual social media instagram twitter and linkedin the three main ones 
much on Facebook. I'm part of Independent Oxford, so usually have things on there. And I'm quite sort of, you know, involved in the local Oxford community. So happy to be contacted through any of those mediums. Perfect. Thanks so much, Deborah. Thank you so much. It's lovely chatting. This has been the Lost and Founded podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure to head over to Instagram and let us know how you found it at Lost and Founded Pod. With new episodes being released every Thursday, you'll be ready to continue taking steps to bring your ideas to life. Wherever you listen to your podcast, be sure to follow and be notified about more inspiring stories and experiences. That's all for now and we'll see you next week.